If you have your Bibles, turn again to Psalm 119, verses 41 through 48. And uh, as I said, just take some time here today to address some of what's been going on over the last week or two and how we should respond as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. And just to say to you, this is not a commentary of current events. This is not what Pastor Andy thinks about what's going on right now. So if there are things that you want to hear said or or sides taken or anything like that, this might be a disappointment to you in that way. I'm okay with that. This is not a commentary on current events as much as it is a call to us to remember who we are and who we answer to. We uh, have a higher power to whom we belong. And we need to go to God's word to see what he would have us to do. I want to say this first, right out of the gate. As ambassadors of Jesus Christ, none of us should have anything to say until we know what God has to say. None of us should have anything to say until we know what God has to say. And we might look at this passage that we read already and go, well, how in the world is this going to help us to figure this out today? And we'll see. Okay, I'll show you as we get there. But let's look first at Psalm 119. This is the platform from which, from which uh, we need to be thinking as God's people in our current situation. So verse 41 through 48, verses 41 through 47 work as, a, in a sense, a cause and effect. Uh, because of this, then this. Or as we'll see, when this is happening, then this is true. Verse 48 being um, the commitment that follows afterwards. So Psalm 119, verses 41 through 48. And verse 41 is, is the gospel. Let your steadfast love, you might say, let your mercies. Uh, the word here in the Hebrew could be your covenant faithfulness, your promises. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. So let's just say this right here, right now. What is God's promise to us in his steadfast love for our salvation? At the time of the writing of this psalm, he's looking forward to who? It's Christ. Christ came, lived a perfect and sinless life. God loved us while we were yet sinners and sent his son to die on the cross for us to take the wrath of our sin upon himself and that we would be given his righteousness. According to your steadfast love, come to me, Lord, your salvation, according to your promise. This is the gospel. Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me. For I trust in your word. I have trusted in the word of God, which told to me the promises of God, which we know that means the death of the Son of God, his burial, his resurrection that gave us the promises of God and our salvation. When we see this in the word, when we trust in this in the word, we receive salvation by faith, then we have something to say. Verse 43. Take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth. Lord, please don't leave me speechless, that I wouldn't be dumbfounded by what's going on around me. For my hope is in your rules. Christians, what is our blessed hope? It's the return of Christ. 
when Christ would come and rule and reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. That's our hope that leaves us without being dumbfounded by what's going on or speechless in a situation. Verse 44, I will keep your law continually forever and ever. We know we're not perfect, that we do still sin. God has committed by his grace to perfect us, that we would continue to grow. We're going to walk. Christians, we will persevere by God's grace. And I shall walk in a wide place. And the, and the word there for wide place can be, uh, think of it this way, in liberty. We look at the world. Before we put our faith and trust in Christ, we were slaves to our sin. We had but one option in life, and it was to be at enmity with God. Now we have been freed. We are free. We are at liberty. We walk in a wide place. We know what to do. For I have sought your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings. Even before the king, I'll have a word to say. And shall not be put to shame. Even if that king disagrees with me, even if the response is off with his head, I will not be put to shame. And I will be able to speak before kings. For I find my delight, my joy is found in your commandments which I love. I don't love the praise of people, even the praise of kings, more than I love your word and your glory, Lord. Therefore, my joy can be had in truth and in you and in your glory so that even when I am despised, even when other people reject me, I can have joy joy. So often we'll say, I don't know if I want to share the gospel. I'm scared they'll reject me. When I love him, when I love his word, when I delight in his word, I have joy even in rejection. Then it says, verse 8, this is the commitment. Because all of this is true, I will lift up my hands toward your commandments. And this is not like a praise of the word of God itself more than it is a, I'm going to reach out and eagerly grab this and receive this word, which I love. I will meditate on your statutes. So we look at this section of Psalm 119 and let's turn it into a when and then statements. When this, then that. We're going to see four of these. We saw four of these in this passage. Here's number one. When I trust in your word, not in the opinions of man or even my own initial thinking, when I trust in your word, then I will have an answer. When my hope is truly in your word, then I won't be left speechless, dumbfounded. Number three, when I seek out and search your word, then I'll know what to do. When others' paths feel restricted and trapped, my path will be made wide. And when I delight, when I take joy in your word, 
then I will have confidence to speak, even before kings. I won't fear man and feel like I have to comply and fall in line with what the world tells me are my only two options. When I take joy in God and His word in truth, more than I do the praise and acceptance of sinful man, then I will be able to love people enough, even powerful people, enough to tell them the truth, even when they disagree. So that's our base. And now we have what's happened recently. So let's flesh this out. Let's seek out God's word. Let's trust in God's word. Let's hope in his word. Let's delight in his word for a few minutes here and see if we can figure out what we'd have to say in these times. So first, and I'll wait for you to turn to these because I want you to see them with me. First one is Romans 12, verses 9 through 21. Romans 12, verses 9 through 21. And we're going to take a couple of these passages and and we're going to delight in God's word and seek it out. Process these things, think on these things, and then see what God has to say. So verse 9. Let love. How would we define love? Well, God said we love because he first loved us. So Christ giving of himself sacrificially for the benefit of others. Love. Giving of myself for the benefit of others. Let that love be genuine, true, sincere. Abhor what is evil. Abhor it. Don't be entertained by it. Don't play with it like it's a toy. Don't ignore it when you see it happening to others. Abhor evil. Hate sin. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful or lackadaisical in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. We've been saying it like this lately with the passage we've been, we've been studying through. Run the race to win the prize. Rejoice in hope. Our blessed hope, Christ's return. Rejoice in that. Be patient in tribulation. The very same thing Paul encouraged the church at Thessalonica with. And be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Doesn't tell you why. Why they're weeping. Why they're rejoicing. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, prideful, arrogant, but associate with the lowly. This is a command. Associate with the lowly. Never 
be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought, think, to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Trust in Him, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, Give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. And that verse, that part is always perplexing, isn't it? What in the world? But remember, what did the burning coal do? Think Isaiah 6. When Isaiah stood before the Lord and said, Woe is me. And the coal, the burning coal was brought, and it was a picture of purification. His uncleanness was purified. It purified him. So here's the question for us. Do you want your enemy to suffer? Or do you want him or her to stand purified before the Lord? God having used your kindness and your love to draw them to himself. What do you want? Overcome evil with good. God, remember, has made a way of escape. And that is the worship and pursuit of our crucified and risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, so keep these things in mind from Romans 12. Let's turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Verses 16 through 21. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every, how many good gifts? Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. When true and everlasting peace comes on this earth, who's going to give it? God. It's going to be because the unchanging, always faithful God has sent his Son to rule and reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. Do not be deceived. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Verse 18, of his own will he brought us forth. We were born again. By the word of truth. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. A church, that means we are to conduct ourselves increasingly in the way that God's people will conduct themselves after the resurrection. In the kingdom. And how should we go about this? How should we continue to grow in that way, we might ask? Verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person Oh, this is just the way I am. I'm just like this. Every person, be quick to hear. 
slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness. Without meekness, there's no receiving. The implanted word, which is able to save your souls. That sounds like Psalm 119, 41 to 48, doesn't it? Church, we must beware the urge to be quick to speak. Don't let people tell you you'd better speak up quickly. A person who is quick to speak is also quick to anger, and they were slow to listen. My goodness, with our children. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? You answer me. You do what I say. You say yes when I ask you that question. Whoa. Let love be genuine. When a person has has to have something to say, when they have to have something to say, they don't have the time to hear. They do not have the time to think. They do not have the time to process, which means they will not have the time to truly, genuinely change or love. And we live in a culture where everyone has to have something to say now. And when everyone has something to say, no one is listening. We also live in a culture where people believe they are the good gift to the world. That the good gift is inside me. And therefore that they must be constantly, consistently affirmed. Only. And this is humanism. The idea that everyone is intrinsically good. That if you just affirm and affirm and affirm, they'll reach their full potential. This is humanism. That is idolatry. And it's all over our world. And our culture. Here. And when everyone has to be affirmed, no one can be challenged. No one can be rebuked. And if we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. First John 1. So, if you take a sinful child and constantly affirm them, what will they become when they're an adult? A sinful adult with a high self-esteem who can't and won't receive criticism. And if you have a generation or generations, which we would argue we have, of adults who are convinced they're right and only know how to be affirmed, aren't willing to talk things out and be corrected or even refined, and who also see that there are others who disagree with them, who also have been constantly affirmed. They think they're right, and they aren't willing to listen. We don't have that now, do we? When people begin to believe that they are not being heard through peaceful interactions... What will they begin to do? I must be uh, constantly affirmed. I am intrinsically good. You're not listening to me and giving me what I want. And let's be careful here. Do not point our fingers at anybody else right now. 
what we see happening is this result of those three things. So, I will take it from you because you are evil. If I am good, and if you disagree with me, therefore, you must be evil. This is where humanism takes a culture. Flee from idolatry. That's actually the passage we were going to do today. Flee from idolatry. Don't play with it. Don't watch it. Don't excuse it in your homes because you think it's not a big deal. Flee from idolatry. It will tear our hearts. It has torn our culture. We look at all of this and we say, Lord, help us. What do we do? What do we do? And I'll just read to you quickly Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? But to do justice. Do what is right. And to love kindness. Well, I'm kind to everyone who agrees with me. That's not kindness. Love kindness. And to walk humbly. If we're not humble, we won't listen. To walk humbly with our God. So now, according to Psalm 119, with God's word in our minds and in our hearts, let's think. And by the way, this is what is meant by spirit-led thinking. Okay, just for a commercial break, we have a contrast here. If I'm saying, I'm going to sit in my room or sit in my, uh, in my study with a, in my nice chair with a pen and a piece of paper and the Bible's closed or not anywhere to be found and I'm just going to spirit-led thinking. No. The Spirit of God inspired the Word of God. The Spirit of God illumines the people of God to understand the Word of God. The Spirit of God empowers the people of God to obey the Word of God. Spirit-led. And when we hide God's Word in our heart, what does the Spirit do with the Word of God in the people of God in those times? That's being Spirit-led. And when I obey God and according to the truth of His Word, I know I'm being Spirit-led. Does that make sense? That's very important for our time as well, and all times. So let's think. Let's think. The world wants us. Everybody. And sometimes it seems they command us to fall into line with one of two groups of people. In every crisis, not just now, but in every crisis, every argument, not just this one. And you will only be accepted by others if you join their group and affirm everything they say. And you will only be respected if you say everything they want you to say. It's the, I'm going to say something critical, and if you don't like it, you can just unfriend me mindset. Or the, your guy did something wrong. Oh yeah, well, your guy did something wrong too. Congratulations. Now we're glorying in the sin of others. Is it possible? I'll say this. Christians, we should be above that. That thinking, that attitude, treating others like junk that way, we should be above that. We shouldn't do it, and it shouldn't entertain us, 
It shouldn't draw us in like a deer staring into the headlights of an oncoming car. People take these issues, which are very important, and they become very selfish and immature in the way they argue and fight over it, and it belittles the situation. It belittles the people who were hurt, and it pressures people. Peer pressure, what we tell our kids to stay away from. It pressures people into taking sides before they've truly listened. Listen long enough to understand that just maybe, well, I hear what they're saying, and that's true, but this isn't true. And and I hear what they're saying, and that might be true, but these things are not true. Is it possible that when the world divides everyone into two camps, in any situation, that there could be truth and fiction going on on both sides? Have we listened long enough to know? Are we taking what we hear, and this is a massive question for us, are we taking what we hear and running it through the grid of the Word of God to discern truth? Or are we taking the Word of God that we hear on Sunday and interpreting it through the lens of Fox News or CNN or our favorite celebrities and social media influencers or even our friends at school or at the workplace? Who's in charge of our thinking? I heard Katie Couric say this recently. I don't often quote Katie Couric. But she said this. I might be paraphrasing, but people no longer watch the news to be informed. They watch it to be affirmed. Why are the news agency, the media doing the things they're doing now? Maybe because people don't watch the news anymore to be informed. They watch it to be affirmed. And so they give them what they want. And I fear she's right. And I fear that many professing Christians are just as guilty as everyone else. So much so that we say the things that we say and take the sides that we take in order to receive affirmation from other people. And if we have friends taking either side of an issue, like this friend took this side and that friend took that side, then our true stress isn't so much rooted in what happened to a human being on a street in Minneapolis. What will happen to the person or people that did it to him? Or what happened to many others in the aftermath, in the violence, in the looting, etc. But instead of all that, we get stressed out because of what our friends and family are saying about it and what they're going to think about me after I say something. Or maybe they're going to get mad at me for not saying something fast enough. And Christian, if you forget that your identity is found and rooted in Jesus Christ alone, if you start believing that the label that the world puts on you means anything you're going to struggle. You're going to waver. There will be a weight on you that God never intended for you to have. And you will be tossed about by every wind and wave of public opinion. Uh, The children's church today, the lesson is on the Good Samaritan. And that Jewish leader asked, who is my neighbor? And we know this to find out who he was obligated to help, even if he didn't want to. I fear we are more prone today to ask who's my neighbor to find out who all is obligated to show kindness to me. You're my neighbor. You should be helping me. You're my neighbor. You should be helping me. You're my neighbor. You should say what affirms me. And as a result, 
One consequence of that thinking is that when we uh, can become bold about some things of this world, we then by default become ashamed of the gospel, ashamed of Christ. And I'm going to say some names right now, but I'm not saying them as one over the other, so don't take the bait. Don't be triggered, all right? We can be more willing to take a stand for or take a swing at President Trump or Vice President Biden or some other public figure, especially behind the false safety of our keyboards on social media, than we are willing to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Faster to do one than the other. More angry and frustrated that other Christians or people in general would talk bad about President Trump or Vice President Biden, or any other public figure, then we are concerned that our neighbors and co-workers, even our own family, are lost and headed to hell. And we spend hours, hours a day, scrolling through our social media, watching the cable news networks, and it can pain us to spend more than 10 minutes reading our Bibles, reading a chapter or two in a good book that helps us to grow. God, help us. Lord, send a revival. Start the work in me. People out there are hurting. And those hurting people are hurting other people. And they're lost. Think theologically, think biblically. They're lost. They're blind. They're deaf. They are slaves to their sin. They don't know how to fix it. They can't. They just think they can. And they've been told, remember from the cradle, that they're intrinsically good, that they should stand up for what they believe in, that they should speak their truth. They don't understand. We should. So what are we going to tell them? What do we have to say? God, help me if my greatest concerns are the potential loss of comfort and ease in my life. God, help us if we think any label the world would put on us would truly define us in any way. God, also give us the humility that we could be corrected when we're wrong. I've read that the Romans called the early Christians atheists. Christians were called atheists by the Romans. Here's the reason why. Because Christians didn't believe in it and wouldn't worship the false gods that the Romans told them to worship, including Caesar. You won't worship who I'm telling you to worship, therefore you don't believe in the gods. You're an atheist. Was that label accurate? Of course not. Of course not. The world's labels that they can put on us don't define us. God, help us if our automatic response is just to chide people we disagree with or to scold them behind their backs or to be entertained on social media by reading and posting memes that mock people and pick fights or that deify the leaders that we agree with. Those men and women are people who are sinners who need a savior, just like us. God, help us if instead of our hearts being broken over all of this chaos and anger and desperation, we're just hardened and angered ourselves and adding to the chaos. Church, we have what this community needs. We have what this world needs. And we must be united around this and be willing to sacrifice for it.
We need to be like Jesus, the one whom God has promised to make us like by his grace. Philippians 2. And by the way, this passage contains our pattern for living and the message we have to share. Philippians 2, verse 1. If there's any encouragement in Christ, of course there is. Any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Unity. Having the same love. Being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. We look at people who aren't doing the things we think they should do and aren't living the life that we think is going to make our place better, and we say, how dare they? I can't believe that. Oh! Count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours, in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, here's our pattern and our message, Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. A servant. Nothing we could give up and sacrifice in this life for the good of others will ever compare to what Jesus Christ gave up to serve you and to serve me. Being born in the likeness of men, and, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. I hope that the main thing, one of the main things, if not the main thing, uh, uh, all the events of the last week or two have screamed out to us is this. The world is lost. They need the gospel message. They don't want it. But they need it. And I hope we will all be humble enough to listen to listen to what is going on through the grid of the Word of God and also realize, I need to grow. I need to change. More and more people are using this phrase, do better. Hardly ever are they referring to themselves. That shouldn't be us, Christians. How am I changing? How am I growing? And again, I say this phrase, Lord, send a revival. Start the work in me. If there is racism in my heart, Lord, cleanse me. If there is selfishness in my heart, cleanse me. If there is a clamoring for ease and constant entertainment, Lord, purify me. If there is pride that makes me think I'm always right and should only ever be affirmed, if I'm unwilling to receive criticism, humble me. If I'm slow to listen and quick to speak and quick to anger, humble me. 
If I love politicians and celebrities and I'm quicker to jump to their defense than to share the gospel, God, forgive me. Change my heart. Grant me repentance. If I care more about what people at school or at the office or on social media or on the news polls think of me, if I care more about that than to know that I'm your son, whom you've purchased by your amazing grace through the shed blood of our sinless Savior, Jesus Christ, Lord, if I care more about the names written on my friends list than to know that my name is written in your book of life, forgive me. Change my desires. If I criticize people who are dead spiritually, criticize people who are dead spiritually, slaves to sin, as if they should know any better. While all the time I, the one who is a Christian, am sinning, sinning by harboring hatred for them in my heart, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Give me eyes to see life and to see people through the lens of the gospel. Lord, if I, have ever, if I ever have anything to say, if I ever have anything to say without first knowing what you have said, please help me to see too that I am a man with unclean lips, living amongst a people of unclean lips. Purify me. Now when Isaiah was purified, he said to the Lord, here I am. Send me. Christian, you've already been purified. That coal just was a picture for us of the blood of Jesus. And the one whose sacrifice purifies you is also the one who has already sent you. This is not, okay, Lord, I'm ready now. You can send me. This is Jesus saying, all authority on, on, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's who he is. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Red, brown, yellow, black, and white. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you. Christian, behold, God is with you. Christ is with you always to the end of the age. Remember, even when the world demands a statement, We have nothing to say until we know what God has said. And he has told us what to say, and he has already sent us to say it. And when the world tells you that's not enough, that's going to happen, isn't it? When the world tells you that's not enough, that that's not the right answer, that you didn't say what I wanted to hear, you remember this, for God so loved the world, all peoples, that he gave his only begotten Son, God doesn't give inferior gifts. He has given to people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation in the world, himself. The greatest gift and show of love that God could have given me, given you, or any other person on the face of this earth, no matter where they're from, no matter their economic status, no matter the level of their education, no matter the color of their skin, the greatest gift God could ever give anyone is himself. And he has done that He's already done it through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Don't let anyone make you think otherwise. Jesus said this in Matthew 10. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. 
We don't know better than him. Jesus wasn't like not with the times and unable to help us know what we need to do right now. And it's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, which they did, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. What, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So Christians, church, servants, bought with the blood of Jesus, our Master has given us orders to obey. Here's a few. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your enemies. Go and make disciples of all nations. And behold, he is with us always to the end of the age. When that end comes, we will see him as he is. We will be with him. We will be made to be just like him. God dwelling with his people forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your kindness to us. While we were yet sinners, dead in our trespasses and sins, thinking we had it all figured out, ignorant, slaves to sin. You loved us. You sent Jesus to die for us, to take our sin penalty on himself. And you have made us free. You have made us your children. You have made us joint heirs with Christ, and we deserve none of it. God, may we be humble, humbled by your love, humbled by the truth of the gospel and then strengthened by the truth of the gospel. May we see the world around us through the grid of your word, through the grid of your truth, the truth. God, change us that we would love you and only you, that we would worship no other gods, not even ourselves. That we would love our neighbor and not be so concerned with who's loving me. That we would even love our enemies and count others as more significant than ourselves. 
God, forgive us for being more bold and ready to stand up for people than we are for Jesus Christ. May we have revival in our hearts. Start the work in me. And when this world goes crazy with every event and every argument and every fight and every bickering, Lord, may we not be self-centered but Christ-centered and point people to Jesus, whether they like it or not, knowing that you save people. You call dead people to life through the hearing of your word. May we believe that you really are who you say you are, that your word really is true, and that you really are building your church. That we would obey you. And God, we thank you that in walking with you, though we may see rejection in this world, we can have true and utter joy in Christ. Forgive us for settling for the cheaper, fickle, short-term happinesses that this world has to offer. That we would instead taste and see that you are good and enjoy you supremely forever. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.